Yes, there we are. Uh, good afternoon, everyone. Welcome. It's Sunday Sessions, 28th of February, 2021. Well, thank you again for joining me for our weekly time of exploring nature-centered folklore, connecting this to your favorite sanctuary space. I'm outside uh, here in the tree labyrinth. It was sunny until a few minutes ago, but the forecast now is for it to remain cloudy uh, through this show. So I hope I don't get all chilly like I did last week because I haven't got Claire to bring out a blanket. But I got a coat with me, should it go bad. Anyway, uh, in your sanctuary, time for expressing your inspired visions through your poetry, writing, art, craft, performance, and problem solving. Now, today's Sunday session is one of our suite of Orm sessions, because Orm is split up into five Sunday sessions now. And uh, this time it's Orm, the uh, tree language story. And this is uh, exploring our forgotten connections to ancient arboreal foundation languages. There's no live guest today, unfortunately, because the ones that were going to come on, that were invited, they couldn't make it today. So I trust you'll enjoy my company. Uh, so be free with all your comments, your questions, and we'll have a wonderful session. Uh, due to our burst of sunny spring weather that we have had after a long cold snap in Ireland, and a lot of you watching are going through the same thing, especially in North America, I've actually focused this week being more on outside uh, in the gardens than actually spending the time preparing Sunday sessions as I usually do. But even so, with this edition that's less prepared than usual, uh, there's going to be less photos, less videos. It was uh, fun for me to compile this under what was really a bit of time pressure. So I believe you'll enjoy the vision of this session. Please comment, question freely. And uh, topics today include an introduction to Orma's Tale of the Trees and uh, how the Gales were tree people and how Ireland is a forest people without a forest. And there's some modern interpretation. They've got modern clothes on, but that's the best I could come up with uh, for that subject. And translating trees into symbolic symbols and into letters that we recognize in language today. And if possible, there may be a bit uh, of trees on trees and sound, uh, if um, wrong picture, if I've not, well, it depends if I've got time this afternoon to cover that. And then I will hopefully have a bit of a panel session. It's gonna be just me and you with your comments. So please join in with your questions and answers. And uh, let's see who's joined us already right on the ball today. Um, and Donna, uh, fantastic. Thank you for joining in again. And uh, Bea, hello. Great day of sunshine in the southeast of Ireland. We've lost ours <laughs> for a little while. It's supposed to be lovely this evening here, but thank you, uh, Bea, for joining us today. And uh, Sandra Elizabeth Medium here. Good morning. Good to see you. And we got Tina Rock up uh, there in Cavan, and glad to make it. She's uh, listening there, and I hope uh, it's beautiful up there for you as well. So let's uh, get on with the bit of show that I've got here. Now, these Karakori uh, 
Sunday sessions and the Karakori Labyrinth Gardens as they get this office brought to you here by uh, uh, Patreon subscribers. And uh, I'm, I'm sort of relying on them now to cover the costs of doing this. So thank you, some of you already on are already subscribers uh, that are watching live today. So thank you for your support because without it, I may not be here this afternoon uh, able to host this. So Fabius, right. How the Gales were tree people and how Ireland is now said to be a forest is a, a country of forest people without a forest. And uh, I've mentioned this uh, as story and teasers on the Sunday sessions a few times. And uh, many people looking into Irish mythology are familiar with the invasion of the Malaysians, the uh, Sons of Mill who eventually formed a pact with the Tour de Dan. And here's a sort of artist impression of them coming ashore down uh, on the uh, Cork coast there. And uh, the, the Tour de Dan, uh, the pact that they had with the Tour de Dan would rule the underworld. Uh, there's some Tour de Dan and underworld uh, of the land that's now Ireland. And there's an old medieval uh, bit of artwork uh, for that. And the... Um, but uh, of interest, you know, this is not quite exclusive to Ireland because over in the UK, uh, in England, uh, with the Picts, the Alliance of Picts, there were the uh, Cornovay and the Canty tribes uh, of ancient Britain, very similar to Malaysians, but those names were actually uh, given to them by the Romans. They didn't go around calling themselves that, where obviously the, the Sons of Mill were the Sons of Mill. So, uh, a tree people of various tribes who got the name of uh, Cornovy uh, in England from the Romans. And the, the, the re, uh, Cornovy itself, um, in Roman Latin at the time, means uh, people who worshipped a horn god. And I've mentioned here a few times the legend of the Sons of Mill um, with their father's mother being a deer that transformed into being a human. And the father himself. Uh, the Sons of Mill grandfather was half human, half hazel tree. Unfortunately, I don't have a picture of a half human, half hazel tree, but there's a lovely sort of clustered up hazel tree for you. Um, and symbolically, um, making sense of this, to me, leaves the symbol of the horn god or goddess or both. And considering how we seem to interrelate folklore of deer antlers with trees and trunks and branches. Uh, I wish I could include a Ted Cook video where he talks of the Irish people being a forest people. So look it up on the YouTube if you can. Look up Ted Cook. I forget the video, but there's one of them. He, he mentions it a few times. But there's one long video. I have played it before, but what happened was the stream on YouTube stopped because I was uh, going against their copyright rules. So I'm not going to be shut down today for copyright infringement. But there, here's Ted Cook himself. I think there he is, uh, planting an oak tree, which uh, he may well be doing today. I wouldn't be surprised. Um, so uh, the Irish culture, as we know, they adapted to turf lands. And it's only recently, I think, that native woodlands have become less alien and there's a bit of a turf but 
here's a bit of a native woodland that's being allowed to grow less alien. Uh, maybe this is because access to peat and turf is becoming more and more restrictive here. But uh, I'll probably go into that in a bit more in depth uh, in, uh, in a while. Uh, let's catch up with uh, what you're saying at the moment here. Um, there's a few of you have uh, dropped in. Uh, that's great. Uh, there's uh, Elizabeth. Uh, good morning to you, Elizabeth. And uh, Lenny's here, uh, lovely, from Holland. Fantastic. And Thomas uh, Robinson from New Mexico. And uh, Terry Connolly's here and Shell Gooch. Good morning to you. And uh, all from Facebook at the moment, our um, meetup people and our YouTube people haven't got through yet, but no doubt they will get through to us a bit later on. And anybody who misses the beginning, it's immediately archived, so you can all uh, catch up uh, with the rambling before them. So translating trees into symbols and letters that we recognize in language today. Now, I love Suzanne Simard's work on the talking forest or whatever you like to call and describe that. Um, I've got a bit of a Susan here, I think. There's a bit of a banner of hers. There you go. That You might be familiar with that. Um, now, um, what I find fascinating uh, about this is that all of the forest and woodland chat and engagement is underground. It is very intimate. Is and uh, with this, of course, with the tree roots, I'd include the fungi, the algae, the wild wildflower roots, all the bugs even interact with this, um, and it's all happening. It's not just exclusive to trees; it's all interrelated. But notice, as I say on that picture, it's all happening underground, and that's something that doesn't seem to be spoken of that strongly because once life is above ground. It seems to become hugely competitive for the light, and it's every plant for itself once they're above ground. Interesting comparison between the two. And more fascinating to me is when we apply the yin-yang symbol and its philosophy, uh, the so-called, um, well, let's see, give you an idea, the so-called yin, uh, feminine, cold, dark, uh, in dancing balance with, uh, that, that's below, uh, with the yang masculine hot light. Um, so the cold, here's the dragon one. I'm bringing that dragon one up. There you go. You've got the cold left, uh, yin and red, fiery dragon, uh, yang on the right. So, but the cold is social to survive and prosper, so I imagine. But uh, below us, below the ground, it cannot prosper without the above. But there again, what we have above the trees and everything, they can't prosper without the womb of everything below. So then to add to the fascination of this is um, perhaps if uh, is the ridiculousness, I'm trying to find a picture here, uh, is the, yes, uh, I've got to go, that's right, this is where I was shoveling my pictures around just minutes before uh, I came on the air. So. I'm adding to this the ridiculous Piscean age and uh, with the Piscean age, uh, especially the religion, uh, the domination of religion that I hope we are actually learning to crawl out of. And um, 
and you know, I, to me, religion has tried to either banish or enslave that dark feminine underground by casting fear upon humans about it. And underground symbolism, uh, we saw the dragons there on the talk about serpents, uh, the worm, uh, which is a UK story, talked about those things. And all of these are the life generators, the life, uh, well, we know what the worms are underground. They regenerate and, and take away the uh, rubbish, the debris, and create new fertility. But with this Piscean age of religion, all this stuff going underground came out as fake manifestations of the devil, uh, pestilence and diseasing serpents, and even witches to be burned by fire, um, bringing on the fear of the sex and the womb, in my mind. Now, the intimacy there on the ground to me is the so actually the source of our wisdom. And here's, I love this underground picture. There you go. There's the source of our wisdom. Uh, but uh, as humans, we can add warmth and fire to that to encourage it and not banish it. And I believe this is the age that we seem to be moving into, which is fabulous. And I will welcome your views and comments about this uh, in the live, um, live or even in the archive if you're watching later. Uh, so to move on, uh, Katie Holton. You may well have heard of her. She was going to be one of our guests, but unfortunately she can't make it today. So well, for a start, we'll give a picture of her. There she is by a crying the fallen tree, which is very symbolic. Actually, she's not responsible for fallen trees, but it's to do with her art. Uh, and Katie is a, a gifted artist from RD in Laos, but she's living in New York now, and she's trying to return to Ireland. She kind of went out there as part of an exhibition, got stuck there with a the COVID, and she's trying to get back to Ireland. She wants to base herself in Sligo for a while. Now, one of our art projects, and this is why I wanted her as a guest, has been the Irish tree alphabet. And this is where she has reinterpreted Orm into a modern language interpretation. But uh, she's also reminded us that we often have forgotten about the core and roots of what inspired the ancient Orm symbolism in the first place, in ancient times. But as Katie is not here, I'm going to borrow some of her content, mix it with some of my own that I shared with you last year. And uh, later on, I haven't been able to put it into the banners at the moment, but later on, I'll add links to Katie's work and uh, in the comments so you can follow up because it's remarkable stuff. Uh, she certainly inspired me, and it is a pity that we can't get alive this time. But in another own session, hopefully we will. But Katie did start her Irish tree alphabet ex exhibition, I believe, and you Leitrim people might be able to confirm this, in the Leitrim Sculpture Centre. This was during a couple of years ago, 2019. And then she had a full-blown exhibition at uh, the Visual Arts Centre in Carlo, and this was from July until October last year. But that obviously struggled due to the COVID restrictions and finally had to close down uh, in October. Now, I invited Katie to be live with us a couple of times, but somehow each time something's got in the way. One day we'll get her. But Katie was briefly on the Tree Festival, if anybody was watching that, hosted online at the dock just before Christmas. But to me, Katie didn't seem to really cover much about the grounding of the work, which I find is a huge inspiration. So I hope you don't mind me having a goal 
uh, Katie's approach, as I interpret it, uh, in her absence. Now, Katie said that she was inspired to create her Irish Tree Alphabet art set from ideas seated and rooted within James Joyce's Ulysses. Now, if you're familiar with Ulysses, and I must admit, I haven't read it as deeply as I should, but there is a fantasy tree wedding ceremony where humans and trees entwine and merge to celebrate the wedding of Miss Fur Conifer of Pine Valley and John Weiss de Newland, the Grand Chief Ranger of the Irish National Foresters. Now, unfortunately, we don't have a Miss Fur Conifer as a conifer. This is an old picture uh, that's taken from some theatrical, and so Miss Fur Conifer is quite human there. But uh, anyway, that, that gives you a sort of idea what's going on there. Now, the wedding guests to that wedding, uh, they were human-tree hybrids. And to Katie, she thought about this, and then this inspired the idea and passion of the human and trees entwinement. We know about tree hugging, but as I say, I'm in the uh, right in the core. There's no leaves yet. They're starting to bud uh, of this willow can. Uh, the hazel is starting to come out in leaf and various things. So there's that passion of entwinement when you're in the tree labyrinth here. And... She got a feeling that this enabled a symbiotic relationship with the land. And uh, with a symbiotic, she imagined with a symbiotic relationship that ourselves and the trees all come together, just like in that Ulysses wedding. And also just like the mythological grandfather of the Sons of Mill that was half human, half hazel in mythology. Now, there's been a sad false anger provoking mythology that has amplified during the past 20 years. This is amplified exponentially on, through the online social media for the last 20 years. So I'd like to straighten this up a bit and, until I go more onto the language of the urm. And this sort of urban myth that spreads wildly, uh, and it's an angry myth in a way, is that Oliver Cromwell came to Ireland, felled all the trees of Ireland, and only the elite states have grown trees ever since. And the, the elite states, their woodlands and forests, are dangerous places to go. Well, Katie beautifully points out that Ireland has been long represented as a fertile woman with flowing hair, uh, Ario or Air, Era. Uh, I haven't got her with the uh, green hair, but uh, I've got something here, uh, if I can... Uh, find it amongst my pictures here. I, I had a, a lovely, there she is. There we go. Uh, no, she is. Yes, she is. There we go. <laughs> um, so that's, um, there we go, but not with green hair. But uh, she imagined uh, the hair being the forest covering most of the island that's now called Ireland during the last ice age. You get a bit of a, a storm and a gale, and there you got the flowing hair, and this is the sort of thing she was imagining. But once mesolithic, mesolithic hunter-gatherers arrived, the human culture that was here, and its ego, I suppose, expressed itself out of nature to create new landscapes, and they started chopping Erio's curls. Now, Ireland's forest ecosystem gradually declined as immigrant Neolithic, then the megalithic people, uh, so pig-like people, as I've talked in the past, 
and they started clearing the land for farming. Oh, uh, naturally, they did start high ground and they came down, but they were clearing all the same, chopping the curls. And this process accelerated during the Iron Age rapidly because the forest wood was then needed for charcoal to create iron. And uh, iron was becoming more important. If you go to the uh, Kelting Prehistoric Museum eventually down in Kerry, you'll see as, as he takes you through his museum, you go through the stone, you go through the copper, and you go through the Bronze Age. Everything there are tools, tools for agriculture and for farming. But once you get to the Iron Age, it seems the farming tools are in the minority, and it all becomes uh, weapons of war, uh, which is intriguing. And then, of course, the Vikings came along, and they took the oaks and the ash for building their ships. And when the Normans came, there was already quite a lot of the forest gone, and they tried to replenish this and replenish the lost forest by bringing in sycamore because it's hardy wood and grew a lot faster than replacement oaks and ash. And then uh, later, as a reward for assisting the Irish fight back the English, uh, which the Spanish did, so in reward of that, the Spanish took most of the remaining oaks of the west of Ireland for their navy. So eventually, when Cromwell arrived to grab oaks for expanding the British Royal Navy, there wasn't much left. So he actually introduced growing beech trees to Ireland, though they never really took off as a mass forestry wood in Ireland. But there are some beautiful, modern, mature beech forests here. They're not from Cromwell's time, they're more recent. And uh, we know them, they're very lovely because um, they're full of bluebells in early May. And there's me with a bards in the woods there with a couple of bards and uh, an apprentice bard. Uh, sorry, Tina, I, I should have had your picture in there. Uh, but Tina's been there a couple of times for bards in the woods. But sadly, the eco and damaging Sitka spruce plantations have been favored over the beach. Now, when I started uh, Bards in the Woods in 2012, uh, this was to encourage more people into the woods to enjoy picnics there and be encouraged to share poetry there too. Uh, but there was still a huge fear of the woods and forests, even back then. So very few Irish-born people joined us. It was mainly... These bars in the woods in the early days were attended by residents and visitors from Eastern Europe, especially uh, from Eastern European countries and also from the UK. But just 11 years later of doing bars in the wood, a lot of Irish people started turning up. And uh, now, 11 years later, they're enjoying the forest much more. And there's a lot of people, a lot of Irish land now is being used to restore and plant more native woodlands. What a transition in 11 years. And there seems to be more, but there seems to be a tension between Irish citizens calling for rewilding, which they are doing. Uh, and there's this now, this a passion has arrived to return to more native broadleaf forest. But the Irish government seems to resist supporting uh, their efforts towards reforestation and insist on increasing the tree farms of the profit-based spruce and fir plantations. Leitrim people know all about this at the moment, unfortunately. But having said that, I have seen improvements in support for mixed species native tree planting and restoring the few existing native woodlands that are around. 
we're really going in the right direction with this, I think. And uh, the, the Woodland League has been uh, campaigning for this for many years. Uh, they know how to lobby, and they're starting to move forward with this as well. So there's encouragement for new native woodlands uh, going on around here by planting pioneer beech trees, beech woods, birch woods, I mean, not beech. Anyway, I'm off topic. Let, let me get back to the Orm. Now, uh, as you know, at least through me, Orm is Ireland's earliest form of symbol translation of oral language and eventually arrived as scribe writing. A scribing of Orm may have started during the fourth century, but through mythology and folk tales, we hear of Ogma, the inventor of the Orm as a sign language. And that folklore, that mythology, goes back to 2000 BC. So at this point, and uh, what I would like to do, if I can find my pick, there we go, is uh, I would like to reintroduce you to my Orm's Tale of the Trees. And this is uh, roughly the second half of my Bathing in the Phase Breath book. And I'll give you a wee picture of that. There we go, show that off. And uh, this is a suite of uh, 20 stories, and I'm going to brag on this. Uh, and I'll brag on it a bit later on. But it's a suite of 20 story poems extracted from folklore and spiced up with some of my own fiction. And together, this is focused on the origin of the creation of the Orm. And it's inspired by the idea of trees carrying memory. Some of you are interested in the idea of memory and water. Well, the trees are full of water, aren't they? Uh, they store water. It seems as if that's the purpose of trees, definitely for flood prevention. Now, you may well be familiar with divination interpretation of Orm. And there's some divination sticks. We've covered this on... Uh, Sunday sessions before. And uh, there were some people that actually arranged the Orm into annual cycles. I think uh, that's a wicker influence. I'm not sure. And one system uses 13 of the Orm symbols and matches each to one of the moon cycles. And all 13 Orm symbols together is one annual solar cycle. Now, there's another system, which I find weird, that uses all of the original 20 Orm symbols and applies them each about 18 or 19 days to each symbol. Uh, so uh, through the year, we you get through the 20 symbols. So it's both systems are solar. And I've never really made sense. I think just stick to the astrology is, is my sort of stomach view of that. But with all this tale of the trees and uh, what I've done, I split the 20 symbols into our own life cycle. And of course, we all live different lengths of life. But during our most matured lives, we live, it's as if we live through four seasons. We, we start with our birth and uh, from the womb and, our, and then as a child discovering our individuality and we've got all this growing going on. And uh, then we move into our relating and connecting season, our relationships, uh, Sort of our early from our teenage wooing, I suppose. And of course, that'll be coming up with the Hawthorns in May. So that's our blossoming time. And then uh, we move on, we mature into uh, fr from our relationships and our unity into accomplishments, 
with other humans, with other life. And this becomes our fruiting and harvesting time. And then we move in, like myself, I suppose, into our maturity time where our harvests of life are gathered. There's still more going on, but we've got great harvests. We're into a period, I suppose, of divinity, and it becomes a bit of a mentoring time. So all these four seasons of life, uh, there's 20 Aum symbols, five old symbols to each season. And so each of the symbols, they kind of play like five notes of the Aum. And five notes is pentatonic. Pentatonic scale is the scale of ancients. They're ancient charts. Chants, I mean. Uh, and the call and response uh, chanting, uh, especially. Uh, especially, I suppose, ne Negro spirituals, for one. And uh, Persian chants, same thing. It's very ancient, this pentatonic. And we relate to it and we connect to it, I think, more than the sort of Greek scales that we play music with. Anyway, uh, if you don't mind, I would like to share a couple with uh, you now. Uh, they're not my most humorous ones from the set. And not even my f favorite, but they seem fitting for this time. So first, I'm going to start off with Nu in the Ash. And uh, there's Nu in the Ash. That's the symbol uh, beautifully done there. And, um, and here's my rugged copy, well used, of the um, bathing in the phrase breath. And this is Nu in the Ash. And somewhere... My relator, it's like the transition from wonder and even disappointment of our individuality as it flows into the unity of connection and relating. In a way, it's like coming out of the winter into this lovely sunshine. And uh, what we got, as I say, what I got here, and when we go off to the woods, uh, because we are locked down, which is unfortunate. So we're really, this is like lockdown. This, we're really challenged. How do we get back home with others? How do we connect? So this is really what the theme is of knowing the ash here. So it's a sort of turbulent journey from the ego into feeling at home amongst others and amongst other life. So here we go. And this is going to be followed by a video filmed by an audience member at the cottage, Karakroy Cottage here. So here we go. No in the ash, we yearn for sacred circles, circles where nothing harms us when we enter them, sanctuary circles where within them there's no more bias, no more conflict, and no more demands to take more from us. Forgiveness is the way, speaks No in the ash. A sailor of the sea tormented by unpredictable swelling seas, and unpredictable calmness of the seas, a sailor of life nourished with fear that has constipated his whole being, became a castaway from his sunken temple ship, sunken outside of where the ash tree circled, swelling throughout his body of fluids, fire, excrement, and wind, not knowing where to flow for calm. Swellings exposing his flag of his singular priesthood of damnation for the offered gift of guided destiny. Circling the ash trees, no matter where he was, they were pointing, 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 
and his swellings were swirling, swirling, swirling. The castaways circled and circled outside of the circle of Nuins, the ashes. But as he circled, his weakness made him slower and slower. And the slower he moved, a sweetness, a fragrance teased him. A fragrance of sweetness that became stronger the slower he moved. Beckon him to enter the circle to feed, be nourished, and be at home. So that uh, was in the ash. And uh, the second one, I'm not uh, going to read. As I say, we had uh, Ian, we had, I'm trying to think, uh, oh, shouldn't be brain dead, I should um, Anyway, Ian, we'll say <laughs> hello, Ian, if you're watching. Uh, we, I was doing Go at the Ivy, which is all about trust. And the image used is the perception of ivy being a clinging plant, depending on other plants to survive. And yet it's got its own roots and survival system. And it's often actually a support to what it clings to. So Go at the Ivy is trust in who we are and what we become. So um, here's the video that was taken by Ian, who's got a last name I've forgotten. And this has actually got a bit of Claire with it too. And so I, hope, I trust you will enjoy this. Plant of unity is that ivy green. 
things that may pull us back down, maybe tears, maybe pain, and stops our world until we get it spinning again. And that hammer may fall, tests our weakness, a saw may grind and cut us and make us branchless. There's always that power to heal From cold stone to green leaves of warm fear Creeping on where time has been It's a rare old plant that I need green Wow! Well done! That's from Tale of the Trees wow. Well, thanks very much uh, for uh, putting up with that. Uh, I, I actually enjoyed it myself. So all this is from my, this is my show off time. Uh, bathing in the phrase breath. Uh, I think most of you have actually got a copy, but if not, uh, you're welcome to find where to get it. There you go, at phasebreath.com. Uh, so that's where that's uh, located. Is that right. Now, uh, some lovely comments have been coming in. Uh, let's catch up because I've been ignoring you for a while. And uh, well, the, the YouTubers are coming through. Lovely to see you. Big Bear, a regular. Uh, these people coming in from the meetup. And here's someone. There was a reference to Orm in the Oblivion Sky game, the Orm information book. They were doing great myths and history-related games 15 years ago. Love to know more about that. That's interesting. Uh, comment more on that if you can. If you can. Uh, we've got um, uh, Davina. Hello, lovely to see you. Uh, from uh, Join us from uh, Virginia there. And Sherry Berthy, one of our regulars. Good morning. Gorgeous here. And at last in Maine, you've got some lovely weather. And I uh, hope, Davina, you've got lovely weather where you are as well. And you're right in the forest there, by the forest. Uh, Willow from Ontario, love trees and tree magic. You'd have to be in Ontario, I think. I grew my own little oak tree and say it from an acorn. Uh, so many years old now. Great. Uh, find a nice place to plant this spring. Brilliant. That's what uh, We're doing tree planting, I think, next week. So there. Uh, see if you can... Join in. Give us a video of your tree planting if you're doing it next week uh, there, uh, uh, Wendy. That would be fabulous. And Kimmy's here. Uh, Damien, uh, good morning to you. Uh, great. Um, Claire's here. Great reception. And uh, you saw Claire a little while ago. Great. Uh, Elizabeth, you're all joining in now. Good morning, DC, Elizabeth, uh, Hellman, Lenny. Uh, we've mentioned there's a few of you I haven't mentioned yet. Because there's a lot going on uh, from you, which is wonderful. Tammy from the East Coast, uh, very good. And uh, I was lost and found in Tree <laughs> Yes, I, I wish we... One day we'll get your poems on here, Tina. I seem to have a conflict getting decent videos. Tina's an absolutely gorgeous poet. We're going to have to get her involved at some point. Uh, and Donna loved that. And uh, Joey... And very nice Ash here from uh, Thomas. And Sandra, thank you. 
So thank you, uh, more people. Nice to see the uh, YouTube people, the meetup people uh, through here. So let's uh, press on. And uh, uh, we've got some lovely stuff to get on. So let's get back to a bit more simplicity now for today. Now, Ohm uh, is affectionately called a tree alphabet. And what I would like to focus on now and what seems to be the motivation for Katie Holden's, Holton's art is that the Orm ancient alphabet was and is written and read from the roots up. And this is Kate, one of Katie's illustrations of the Orm, which I think is lovely. It hasn't got the perfection sort of 90 degrees stuff that we see. And each Orm symbol character has branches. Let's keep that up. And they have branches that sprout horizontally from a central line, like branches sprouting from the trunks of a tree. And you're reading this from the ground up, and I think that's beautiful. So here with Om, we have a language created in the image of living matter, the living matter being the growing trees. As all Om symbols are joined together as they are written and read from the top of the roots, uh, the, where the ground level is, and and then up, up, up towards the sky there. It's just like the tree is growing, isn't it? And that's how it's read. I think that's, I love that part of Om. That's what it's about. Now, in the book of Ballymalt, scribed in the 14th century, this is often, for scholars, the main reference to the existence of Orm. And I've shown this before, but there's something quite significant there because this has corrupted the Orm through featuring the Orm symbols. Look at that. They've been scribed horizontally because by 14th century, uh, the scribes were cultured into writing from left to right. Well, the scribes here, obviously in Persia and that way, they were going from right to left. But here, the scribes left to right. And they were certainly not doing ground to sky. The Chinese and Japanese were going ground to sky. And other cultures, and maybe in African cultures too, they were doing that. But many of us relate to Orm not as a scribed language, those inscriptions scratched, scratched into the cornerstones of the Orm stones. So let's bring that to that, because that's what I think most of you are more familiar with. And most of us know these much more than we know about the Book of Ballymote. For some of you listening, you might never have heard. If you haven't been a regular Sunday session person, you may never have heard about the Book of Ballymote in association to Orm. So Orm inscriptions uh, may have been carved on trees to start with, but they would have been long gone. Uh, so the stones is what we got. So the fact that we haven't got those original tree carvings takes away our potential understanding of what the true language of Orm is, what the true story of the Orm tree language is. Now, some of us try to interpret this through clairvoyant Divin divination practice, and we use something like this, the Orm divination sticks I've covered uh, before. And to me, this is quite similar to people using the I Ching yarrow stalks, using the yarrow stalks to interpret the I Ching. And I think uh, we reach for divination Orm to try and clarify, because it's as if we can carry a sense of Orm uh, that's deep in our psychic memories. And it's within our sense, since when we're in specific places, I talked about thin places, I think it was last week, wasn't it? Uh, so we sense them. I certainly sense them. We think, where do we get this from? Because 
It seems that no child is actually taught home at school. Were you taught home at school? Well, in the west of Scotland, um, and certainly the Hebridean Islands, the primary school children, when they start school, are still taught the alphabet of the Gaelic, the old Gaelic language, through reciting the 18 letters of the language's trees. And here's a bit of a table that they follow. Uh, it does go into sort of A, B, C, D thing, not the um sequence. Although not so long ago, they did follow the actual OM sequence, but that's how it's done today. Our children, when they first get to school, this is all preparation for learning the garlic. So without this school teaching and uh, of OM, we may wonder why it seems familiar when we first see OM, especially when we see it engraved on ancient stones. And was that what you were feeling there, Donna? There's Donna Johnson watching today up against the big Balakron uh, Ormstone. Uh, many of you will be familiar with this down uh, in County Cork on the Barra Peninsula. It's not far from the Barra Stone. So, as Katie Holden explains when she started drawing Orm characters, she appreciated how organic the symbolism is, of Orm is and how connecting it really is which is unlike our English, which unfolds from left to right, um, and uh, then left to right, and then whoa, that would go that way with the way you're looking at it, and boing, down to the next line again, and boing, left to right, until we go down the page. But with Orm, we read as if we're, we're climbing a tree. And that's the way it is. It's like starting from the bottom. I'm repeating this because I love this. A reading as we will climb a tree, going from the ground up. And I've always found solace amongst trees myself, and I'm sure some of you watching here found the same. And a lot of so-called pagan folk find solace in stone circles and ancient cairns. But that, uh, that's not for me. It's, it's a controversial thing when I get into debates uh, with this, isn't it? I tend to think of trees, I th if I'm in a, a stone circle or a cairn, one of the thoughts that kind of gets to me is I think of the trees that needed to be removed to create that stone circle or cairn. And it's all part of the clearance uh, to make way for human culture creation. I mentioned uh, a few minutes ago, or several minutes ago, when the Mesolithic people and the Megalithic people came here. Uh, we got to clear the trees because we're going to create this, because we're human, we got hands, we make things. And so the soul of ego and the creating. And um, sometimes we, I think we feel our ego is a bit sacred and spiritual. So to me, trees, trees are truthful. Uh, there's, what's that one? There we go. Trees are truthful. They're not human construction. And no matter how beautiful uh, they look, well, Let's get back to my train of thought. To me, trees are useful, youthful. And I feel there's no human construction, no matter how beautiful and wondrous they look. And I do love beautiful buildings. I feel they're hiding some deceit and some abuse like elitism does upon other human beings to create their elitist status. Maybe trees are elitist too, because I mentioned earlier that once one sprouts above the ground, their behavior is very different to the roots. It's very competitive. 
highly competitive for light. And that includes some suppression of other plants competing for light space. So maybe trees are elitist as well. But I and Katie Hortonton mentioned scientists like Suzanne Simard, Hope Jaron, Merlin Sheldrake, and they study the underworld. Uh, let's get a bit of underworld here. Uh, the underworld communication of lang and languages of plants. And they've clearly shown how trees and plants talk to each other through a medium of networks of fungi. Um, oh, it's the fungi that does the transmissions, especially through sugars. And the buzz name for all this transmission now seems to be, you've probably seen it in memes, Wood Wide Web. <laughs> Perhaps the most important uh, thing from all this is something that I encourage with visitors here in the tree labyrinth, here in the labyrinth gardens, is that tree language, along with the plant and fungi language, is beyond our notions of logical applications of communication. We learn to read and write, and so we have logical applications. We have logical understandings of words and sentences. But when we lead into nature-based mindfulness, and I will talk more about this uh, again in two Sundays' time on the 14th of March, when our Karakori Sunday sessions will be labyrinth gardens and tree sanctuary creation. And I feel that following our wonder about the language of trees, their understanding, uh, especially understanding of their underground social networks, and then the competitive drive towards light once or above, all this to me tends to encourage us and engages us to rethink our relationship with things. I often uh, bring this up in Sunday sessions about how our modern language is focused on things, subjects, objects, and we have adjectives uh, to describe these subjects, objects, objects, and things. And the verbs then become second place to all this. But actually, if you consider the existence of verbs, then we call them verbs. And to me, that's like converting the language of actions into things as well. To me, a verb is a thing. It becomes, it's become a thing. And I think this is something we take for granted. And it, uh, to actually get behind that concept, it feels like it's not an easy thing. And this is why I'm going to bring in this whole mindfulness scope, uh, trusting uh, in our senses in two weeks' time. Anyway, Asian languages seem to be focused on conditions rather than things, like weather changes, season changes, landscape changes, mood changes, moon changes. Because uh, we've had this glorious full moon, and that we, our, our thoughts and feelings, we don't put that into words. It's there, but there's a language in that. It's tide changes, even personal health changes, and our own trees um, have memories. And recently, we talk a lot more about memories in water. I, I saw I was flashed off and on. I hope uh, we're still. Uh, live there. Are we still, uh, we're supposed to, I suppose I have something here, monitor, but they haven't put it on. Anyway, if trees have memories and recently we talk about memories in water, how do we respond or how do the trees respond when we enter among them with stress? Do they include our stress in their presence? If they do, how can the trees around us 
turn this around and communicate with us, what can they tell us? And if they can tell us something in response to our stress, will we or are we able to listen? What happens to us when we know that trees and plants can talk, have a language, and it's a language without words, without sentences, but we pick it up and we sense it. To us, when we sense a place, a space, it's talking to us. So within today's human culture of reading and writing, and sometimes through oral storytellers, these are ways I believe us humans rely on to organize ourselves to make sense of the world. Now, more recently, thanks to social networking, um, I don't know if it's a good thing or a bad thing, but reading and writing is largely getting replaced with photo taking and video making and presenting these instead of uh, words. It's like what happened when television came along after radio, isn't it? So through her crafts and mediums of art and uh, some, uh, some sculpture, but art, Katie Holden wondered if we could translate our modern letters into trees. And I think this is even more beautiful than what I've said. This is her creating an Irish tree alphabet and um, in a form of, and these can be used in our modern form of words as a means to reconnect and rejoin ourselves with the world around us. She's kind of done stuff in reverse. She's, there is respect for the ancient Orm, but she's taken our modern language and turned the trees, and by adding a few more trees, and she's created a new tree language that's evolved out of the old one. And that was the art. And this is what's been on display uh, in Carlo, uh, in visual. So she drew on the uh, family of trees, uh, one for each letter of the modern Latin alphabet. And as you can see, it does include uh, some of the, or well, many of the old alphabet symbols, uh, the old trees. Now her uh, exhibited tree alphabet on her webs uh, is on her website, and I'm going to post links and comments after the show. Uh, so you can access them. One of the things I love is that um, she's actually created a typeface. You can in install it on your computer as one of your typefaces, and it's called Trees. So you can type away your modern letters, and up comes words with the um, in lines of trees that uh, Katie has kind of invented, inspired by the own alphabet. So I'm going to post a link to those two later. Now, Katie does have a book out about all of this, but uh, or the covers she made, they were all hand-printed, offset-printed, and they were in very limited edition. And I did a Google search before the show, and the best price for a personal copy is 810 euros. So I'm not sure how that translates into your currency with the USA dollars. That would be a lot of money. Anyway, uh, that kind of concludes my um, a a fusion of myself with what uh, Katie has said. So let's uh, look at your latest comments on that. Yeah, I, I thank you. Reception still because what happened was on my monitor here, I went blank and I, I couldn't understand why. So that's why I asked you that. Thank you for saying hiccups now and then. Okay, uh, reception is in and out, and I noticed. Okay, glad it's still good for you because uh, I did a a speed test before this, and it was actually incredible. It was uh, one of the best we've had outside fifty. Uh, 
megabytes up and down. So we should be good. Uh, Sh uh, Shannon, uh, thank you very much. And uh, Sandra, interesting. Bayer's around. Uh, so good to learn reading from the ground to the sky. <laughs> I, uh, I'm glad you enjoyed that one. Thank you. Um, and uh, Davina, wow. And Bridges, join us from uh, Pennsylvania. You can do uh, get to the beginning. Um, and Tammy has joined us uh, from the East Coast of the USA. This will be archived so you can catch up at the beginning. And thank you, put your Tom. And Thomas has got a lot here. Let's see what he's got to say. Inspiring talk. I live in the big forest, northern New Mexico. I live too where there is on the rose of pine. Look at all that. Prone to a fire of my doorway. Come on, fast. Wonderful description. Lovely. Thanks for sharing that, Thomas. And thank you for joining us from New Mexico. Donna's, uh, I think, is in a similar sort of landscape. Uh, thank you uh, very much for that. Now, trees and sound. I said, shall I do something with this? Now, I did have a guest to cover this, but I, as I say, um, couldn't be on live today, so I'm going to make this quite short. Um, during earlier Sunday sessions, I've mentioned the theory that Orm arrived at a time when oral language is said to have not been separated like we do today. We have speech, and there's me talking away to you this afternoon in a sort of monotone. I'm not singing this whole thing to you. But once upon a time, with humans, both were the same, it seems. And after wondered about this uh, as being the, is this the origin of when the priests say and sing mass? Anyway, without our anticipated live guest for Om Sound, I do have a little treat from you. It came to me last minute uh, that, uh, yes, I'm, I got this. Thank goodness for that. And... Evelyn, Evelyn Borton, she's becoming a bit of a regular here, isn't she? A regular opera singer. And uh, I got a lovely quick video from her expressing herself from hugging a tree um, in an Owenfield operata that she's called Arrowaroch. I, I can't even pronounce it. Arrowaroch. Anyway, I, it's, um, here it is, and it's totally understood by dogs and a child and performed in glorious portrait mode. Could we have this uh, in any, you know, it has to be from guest Portrait mode it is. Here we have Evelyn Borton, a wee little video from Hugging a Tree and a lovely audience.
anyway, have you got any more uh, questions, especially about uh, today, the OM and the language? Do you find that maybe for uh, I kind of cover the rest of the stuff and close uh, and say bye-bye to you. What we got here is 50th episode. How about that? And uh, not next week for the birthday. It'd be the, we got to go. It'd be the th 53rd episode, which will be the birthday of the first episode. We've got three weeks to go with that one. And uh, I'll talk about when that's going to happen very soon. And uh, Tina, who comes here sometimes, will gather soon, uh, longing for bars in the woods. And Tina's got a lovely social place too. Uh, so where are you? I mean, oh, yes, the conversation going with the New Mexico people. They're lovely. Contacts going on. Fabulous. A new discovery. Greetings from Canada. Hi, Suzanne. As I say, you can, uh, we're going into the archive in a few minutes' time, and you can see from the beginning. Uh, thank you uh, for being here. A new discovery. Uh, so that's great. Thank you for being here. And congratulations. Uh, and there's Dina, uh, Divina, wonderful. Wish we could do another tour. Looking forward to you coming back. And um, and then thanks for showing our group and the amazing trees in Ireland. Didn't I, did I show the group? Oh, yes. Oh, I, sorry. I thought you meant the group picture. Thanks, Thomas. Um, I so vaguely remember, yes, uh, you here. It's now coming back. And... Uh, Right, so uh, what are you asking here? Small world, I just moved from Rio. <laughs> this is definitely the New Mexico uh, episode, isn't it? Uh, and as I say about the cake. Right, uh, as B. Smith joined in, catch up late without planting. Good thing to uh, done. You're in through the YouTube, B. And uh, as in a few minutes, you'll be able to watch from the beginning again or this evening and covering what's going be our, uh, just like Evelyn with a song, be with the poems is a lovely uh, regular, and I look forward to having an excuse to having her back uh, with the poems again. So this has been fabulous. If you've got any more questions, I'll soon, I can finish them off at the end here. But I trust you've enjoyed my presentation and, and Evelyn uh, and also Claire helping me out there with the... Uh, got the ivy uh during uh, this afternoon and also for katie halton uh who uh some of her content i've included and we'll get her on live i'm sure sometime in the future the next time we do an ohm this five a year as i say um so we're not finished quite yet um they uh just to say caracory sessions and the caracory labyrinth gardens uh, again I'll do the plug, reminding you that uh, this is all being made possible, very possible, thanks to your generosity for being uh, Patreon subscribers. They obviously pay the subscriptions for StreamYard and other toys I use during these Sunday sessions now. So uh, thank you for that. Um, and um, I'm still uh, coming up with the course. There's so much preparation for the Sunday sessions that uh, the course material is uh, slow, but it's going to get there because as we repeat some of the subjects, we'll have more guests, more panel time, 
less preparation from me and the content from previous years will be into the course. So all of you subscribers will be getting this course free of charge. Uh, the She Water and Folklore course, that is. So uh, coming up on Sunday sessions, let's get on to uh, some of that. Uh, on the 7th of March, uh, that's the next one, isn't it? In the 7th of March, we've got, we're going into some practical stuff and going into uh, bare root tree planting. So if any of you are out there doing some tree planting, uh, do share your stories, uh, make some videos when you're tree planting. Uh, I'll I've got some hazels to put in, so if the weather's okay out here, I'll do a bit of root planting. Of course, the uh, tree planting season is from November till now, but every, a lot of people leave their tree planting uh, to last minute. And uh, uh, so this is it in March. They do it in March, don't they? Anyway, 14th of March, uh, we've got uh, Labyrinth Garden and Tree Sanctuary Creation. And uh, so I talk about at the beginning uh, that's relaxing in your tree sanctuary. So here's some tips and some practical hands-on. This is where I am now. Uh, you can see that blank piece. This was 13 years ago. Was it? I think it's 13 years ago. There's Claire doing a bit of touch-up with it. And uh, the, the little root, uh, bare root trees have just been planted there. And here we are. And uh, now you see where I am is uh, very different. <laughs> uh, so that, that's it. That's how it was. And so, uh, as I say, on the 21st of March, um, the Sunday sessions becomes a year old. And um, by doing that, we go right back to where we started. And uh, I'm trying to get my pictures up. Come on. Um, it's not very efficient. I've lost my pictures. Ah, they come back again. So we're back to where we started. And uh, this is on the 21st of March on the birthday one. We're back to the first edition again, Us and Trees. And I better look uh, straight up that website. But it's going to be a presentation of Us and Trees, our relationship to trees. And this is where uh, the online uh, Sunday session started. So we're back to that. And uh, I trust you'll find that absolutely fascinating and wonderful. So, and that happens to also be uh, on the 21st, the first week, the first day of the uh, tree week in Ireland. And uh, I'll probably put it on their um, page as well. So we're bringing the whole thing together. And, uh, but of course, we're going to be with uh, totally online with us and trees this year. Um, did we have people last year? I don't, don't think we did because it was one year old when we went totally online. So I'm going to have a, a look to see what else you might be uh, saying here. If I missed anything uh, from you, I've got uh, pop-ups galore coming that shouldn't be here. And uh, Bernard, oh, hello, Bernard from Belgium. Nice to see you on board through the uh, YouTube as well. And uh, Shanaki, your natural drive, <laughs> easily listening information, bringing the stories home. Thank you. Uh, well, well done, Thomas. Yes, you are. Yes, thank you so much. I've got thank you notes to send to you. So thank you for your <clears throat> increased support. Thank you very much. Uh, so thank you again for uh, watching just me today. And uh, as I say, there was a bit of Claire, which was great. 
Uh, I would like to ask, keep commenting here if you're watching this after it's live, if you're watching the archive, and subscribe and click to the bell icons, which I, are on YouTube, I know, and I think they're on Facebook. Uh, they remind you of details of next Sunday sessions ahead. So thank you for that. Enjoy a safe week, uh, full of wonder, inspirations, lots of sun, I hope, though it's supposed to get quite cold at the end of the week. But this is a time of enchantment. Enjoy your garden, enjoy your woodlands. So until next Sunday, play well. Thank you for joining me. And it's bye. Mm-hmm. <clears throat>